You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey folks, I know that most climbers go into the mountains to get away from the scary realities of modern life. And complicated real-world things like run-ins with the law can frighten and confuse you and cause you to leap from your sprinter and run into the night while being chased by a Utah statey named Rulon and his bloodthirsty, drug-sniffing German shepherd. But don't despair. Just like you got over your fear of the internet tubes and managed to download this podcast, there's a cure for your fear of the legal system. Dan Markoff is a climber, a normal cast listener, partner at Atkins and Markoff, and he has set up an email hotline to field any of your questions about the law. Dan knows you'd rather be avoiding reality in the mountains rather than facing it in the courtroom. So why don't you let him help you out? Email climbing lawyer at gmail.com with any questions you might have. Once again, that's climbinglawyer at gmail.com. All right. Thanks for your time. Let's get to it. We got to get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That side of town. That's a big place. You sold it out. I'll see. We really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment. With support from Maxim Ropes. And don't forget our friends at Defiant Bean Roasters. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Norma at checkout for a discount on great coffee. Or click on the Defiant Bean banner at enormacast.com for more information. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Enorma Cast. It is December 31st, about noontime, Mountain Standard Time, and this is your intrepid host, Chris Caloose, although not quite as intrepid as I once was, as you'll find out in a second. And on today's show, there's a bit of a throwback. I'm releasing the audio from Five Point Films' Aspen program last February. I've been actually wanting to release this in some form or another, and the fact that the holidays made me lazy fat, lazy. That's what I'm doing for this show. I'm also going to put this thing out on January 1st, which devoted fans will note means that I finally broke my record. I finally, not really broke my record, made my record broken because I will have only released one episode in December. But I just decided that since I'd hit 48, I'd hit two years, I would take a small break from that because this is my podcast. I can do whatever I want. Anyway, it'll also help me reset my dates because as you've also noted, some of you, they've crept further and further away from my original first and 15th quote unquote deadlines, which I almost always blew off anyway. However, this will get everything straightened back out. Um, Episode 50 will come out on the 15th of January and then we'll be back on track and no big deal. Yeah, and I'd like to do a little commercial for the upcoming Aspen Five Point event on January 18th at the Wheeler Opera House in Aspen, Colorado, if you're around, if you're in the area. 
It's going to be a little more ski-oriented this year from last year. Sally Franklin's going to be presenting, who was a pretty serious skier in the industry and sustained a traumatic head injury last year and is in the middle of recovering from that. Also, Ryan Hudson will be there, who was a kid who grew up basically on the streets with his family, homeless shelters, and now is a semi-pro snowboarder. Pretty amazing story there. And then Chris Davenport will be there, who's just a great guy, an amazingly inspirational skier. So should be a good program. Again, January 18th. And I want to thank Five Point for letting me use this audio for this program, as well as supporting the Enormacast and having me as a part of their events over the last couple of years. Awesome programs, awesome little organization. More information at fivepointfilm.org. Okay, so here's what you're getting on episode 49. The first part is a short conversation on stage in front of the audience with Mr. Alex Honnold. This was actually recorded just a day after I recorded the episode from last February, the Alex Honnold episode. Not a ton of new stuff is revealed, but you get to hear the audience reactions to uh, Alex's little quips and whatnot. And uh, it's Alex Honnold. Have we had enough Alex Honnold yet? Has Alex Honnold jumped the shark, in our opinion? I don't think so. We still love the guy, don't we? And then the second half is a 20-minute or so conversation with frequent guest Hayden Kennedy, but more importantly with his dad, Michael Kennedy. And a lot of wisdom from two generations right there. And I think the best part is Michael's contribution to the conversation. Hopefully Michael will be on the show sometime in a full hour because the guy's got a lot of wisdom stored up from his days at the helm of Climbing Magazine and his days kicking ass in the high mountains. One of the early devotees to alpine-style mountaineering. So it's a little bit different type of episode from the Normacast this time around. We do reference a couple films while talking. Not real important for the conversation, but I will link what I can over at normacast.com if you'd care to have a look. All right, finally, since it's the new year, maybe make a resolution to support the Normacast. It's pretty easy to do. Head over to normacast.com, click on the Help Out tab for some ideas of what you can do. Sometimes simply telling your friends is easy enough. Liking the Facebook page, writing a review on iTunes. But as you're looking into the supposedly better economy coming in 2014, maybe consider donating a little cash to the Normacast by clicking on that donate button. It will make you feel good. Also, an easy thing to do is support our sponsors, Black Diamond, Maxim Ropes, Defiant Bean, Climbing Lawyer at gmail.com. All these people and organizations support the show because they believe in it, and hopefully you will support them in kind. Not going to do an outro this time, so also make a resolution for 2014 to be the safest climbing year without stupid mistakes and undue risks. Talk to your partners. Make sure you know what's going on. And every single time you go climbing, every single time you tie in, don't forget to check that knot. Hey, look who's here. Hey, yo. Alex, can I get a picture? Yeah. Just one second, please. All right, give it up for Alex Honnold.
That, I've seen that film a few times, not as many as you have, but it's an awesome movie that makes my palms sweat. Uh, so let me ask you, Alex, about filmmaking first, okay? So one of the things, how many people have seen the 60 Minutes piece that went out on Alex? All right, well, the rest of you got to Google it when you get home. They kind of sent it up in the beginning of the movie uh, a little bit, and um, that was a, you know, Alex has talked to me about it and said it was a big transformation for him. So how many people do you think have seen that, Alex, the well, 60 so, Minutes uh, So the 60 piece. Minutes piece yeah. aired three times, and it had like 18 million viewers each time. And then, uh, and then they resold it to Showtime, which I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a, it's outrageous. Yeah, and then it's on the web. I watched it yeah. again the other day, and there was actually two Viagra commercials interspersed in it. So, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> considering the, the the subject matter was probably appropriate. So, <laughs> um, so being exposed to that many millions of people, and uh, again, most of them strangers, how has that changed your life? I mean, it's a little weird. I mean, just you know, being in an auditorium and everything. I don't know. It's it's weird. <laughs> yeah. That's it. It's weird. Has it opened any doors for you? Yeah, no, for sure. It's opened like all kinds of you know opportunities and who knows what. But you know, and it makes it easier for me to just spend my whole life climbing and traveling and all that. So I mean, that's cool. But um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird too. Have you achieved rock star status? Can you get, uh, do you know. get recognized in bars and stuff? Uh, occasionally, <laughs> very rarely, in just the right mountain towns, you know. Right, right, right. I got it. Not that you hang out in bars a lot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about soloing. It's sort of the elephant in the room. That's what you're famous for in terms of climbing, climbing without a rope. So soloing by its very definition means being up there alone. And, uh, you know, when you're making these movies and you're having these cameras around, is that affect the way you think about it or the fact to affect the way you deal with it at all um so there's kind of an important distinction between free soloing and what was in that movie which was just kind of by any means soloing me just getting up the mountains and so um free soloing is pretty intense and pretty high commitment and i've done almost all of that entirely by myself but what i was doing in that film is just kind of climbing the face which is actually pretty fun and even though it looks really extreme it's actually like not nearly as high commitment as as free soloing and um, so actually it was kind of nicer having film people next to me, like people to chat with while I was climbing. And it's just, you know, it just makes the whole thing kind of fun. But, no, honestly. But, people to chat with, you know. That's, that's an well, I mean, honestly, thing. it'd be lonely to climb 19 hours by yourself, like with no, right. with nothing going on. And then just the logistics of doing something like that is actually pretty complicated to get to the different faces and, you know, to have like a pair of shoes on top of different things that you can hike back down. And so it's almost nicer having people, uh, you know, like my friends rigging it and like hanging on the wall next to me because then, you know, I get to hang out and chat and they can like give me a sandwich and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's cool. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the fear. You know, in that section, uh, which is sort of the, the bulk of the, wa- the Watkins footage, when you're doing the eight, the yeah. eight climbing to the soloing, you're kind of joking around about it, but clearly you're, you know, there's parts where you are feeling a little bit of fear. And in the 60 Minutes piece, uh, John Long is commentating, which is priceless. And uh, he talks about that idea of panic, that idea of the rush of all of a sudden getting there. So, you know... Do you have any sort of thing to say about how you deal with that when, you're, when, you, when you feel it coming on? Um, well, I guess, I mean, when something unexpected happens, you do feel that little rush of like, oh, gosh, that, you know, I didn't plan for that. But then you just sort of have to, uh, you know, nip it in the bud, not let it escalate. I think that's kind of what, you know, something like a skill that I've cultivated, being able to nip that in the bud and continue doing what I plan to do. 
Well, I was curious about that. Are you, do you think you've cultivated it, it, you know, or is it something that may be innate in your personality or a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both, but for sure I'm, you know, better at that kind of thing now than I was five years ago. So, I mean, obviously practice helps. I mean, you know, five or six years ago, had I tried to do something like that, it, I mean, it would have been totally overwhelming. Right. You know, it's just like such big walls. But now, you know, it feels kind of okay. So I got to, you know, this probably will make you cringe, but I got to ask you about the slip. Because that's a big, big part of the movie when we're all watching it. And obviously the filmmakers, you know, the, the, the big heavy chords start. And we, and we all of a sudden, boom, yeah, you, yeah. You, yeah, you, you sort but that's of just, That's just good filmmaking. You know? Right. The so, thing is that, that over the course of 19 hours of climbing like that, you know, there are a lot of little things like that that happen. And they just happen. And that's it. You know, they just go on by. Um, that particular foot slip is just extra dramatic because the cameraman was like four feet away from me. And the only reason I was even trying to use the tiny little foothold was because I was trying to like look kind of s- static and controlled for the camera. Like, had he not? <laughs> He's been up there, there playing at the camera, people. <laughs> well, you know, like that's. I mean, it's hard not to because your friend's like right there, and you're just trying to like look s- solid for him, you know, because you don't want him to be all scared. Well, but, <laughs> I don't know. Now that's the thing about because I, you know, I've heard you talk about the slip before. <clears throat> And, you know, don't overtake flattery or anything, but the one little tell in that piece of footage that I've noticed, because I've seen it before, is that he shakes a little bit when it happens. The camera? Yeah, yeah. like, so he's a little bit put off by it himself. Uh, I mean, probably. I mean, he's hanging right there. It's got to be kind of, yeah, weird, but... Yeah, so... Uh, all right, so you were the only one calm in the situation, is, like, I, I guess, know. my point, so... Within climbing, as you grew up, who are some of your inspirations in climbing? You know, you, you talked about in a couple articles that, that Alex has written, he's talked about reading the magazines voraciously as a kid. So can you point to anybody that you sort of grew up being I mean, excited I, about? I grew up in California, so there's this whole culture of soloing and, you know, the Stone Masters and John Backer and Peter Croft and, like, these legends of climbing that... You know, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, these guys are so amazing. It's so cool. And now, obviously, I, I really respect Tommy Caldwell and what he's done in Yosemite and, uh, and other people. But I don't know, you know, like everybody grows up with their heroes. It's like, oh, that is cool. That's something I'd like to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I kind of got into that kind of stuff. The thing also that we focus on, on these solos and things like that, but Alex is actually a really excellent climber in all disciplines, except for maybe bouldering. Um, but, you know, what, what do you get out of soloing that maybe you don't get out of being on a rope? And what do you get out of being on a rope that, that you miss in soloing? Um, I don't know. I mean, well, so soloing certainly demands a little bit more from you. I mean, it demands a certain level of focus and a certain, you know, perfection in your execution and all that. And so I think that, you know, as a result, you get a little bit more from it, like, because you have to put more into it. You know, and so, I mean, I think that's pretty rewarding. But then, um, but then climbing with a rope, obviously, is so much lower commitment that it's just fun. That it's just you and your friends, and you're going out and having a normal, fun day climbing. I mean, soloing is just like more intense. It's not something that you'd want to do every day because you don't, you know, you don't need that kind of craziness all the time. You know, whereas climbing with a rope, I, I basically do do every day, and it's super fun. It's just totally normal and you know mellow. But. So, uh, how how's your family feel about the uh, the climbing that you do? Actually, my family's always been uh, surprisingly supportive. You know, they, um, they they trust me to make good decisions, and that's that's about it, you know. All right. But I, I, I try to make good decisions. <laughs> try to make but good decisions. Safety first. <laughs> Clearly, safety first, yeah. 
You should get a t-shirt that says know, that for the next movie. The thing, is, the thing is, people always think I'm joking, but I'm serious, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's obviously, you know, preparing for this thing, you were obviously very calculated in what you were, you were going to try to do and had climbed it previously on a rope with... Mm. with I mean, I'd climbed all of those routes previously quite a few times. I'd climbed them quite recently. You know, I knew the conditions of all the routes. I mean, I was extremely well prepared for that. All right, well, one last question before we let you go. Uh, in the 60 Minutes piece, again, you, you talked a little bit about realizing that, that it's not entirely sustainable for your whole life to be free soloing at, at, a, at a major level. And so at some point, you're going to move on from that, at least. If, mm. And even if you do climb the rest of your life. So I guess my question is, is how will you know when it's time well, to mean, dial it back? Basically, I think the time will just be when I don't feel that fire to do something like that. You know, when I don't look at a face like that and be like, that is something that I really want to climb. And, you know, I mean, I can go six, eight months without any kind of objective that I'm actually super fired up about. But then occasionally I see something where I'm like, that is really cool. Like, I want to do that. And so I don't know. I mean, I assume that at some point I just won't have the fire for that anymore. But, um, you know, maybe not. Maybe I'll just be raging forever. I really doubt it, though. <laughs> you know, I'd like, you know, at some point you just get tired. I don't know. You just want to go climb with your friends and have fun. Like, I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Alex. Guys, give Thank it up. Thank you, guys. Okay, how do you uh, introduce someone who's been part of your life <clears throat> for 23 years now? Hayden grew up in Carbondale, learned how to climb when he was pretty young, skied, mountain biked, kayaked. He was the kind of kid that, you know, when uh, with the ski club, the first kid to go off the jump was going to be Hayden. Um, but really, I think what I'm most... Uh, pleased with as he's become an adult, gone on to climb all over the world, is his humility, his respect, and his, uh, his real joy in being in the mountains. Well, it's my dad. I wish I could grow a beard like that. It's pretty badass. I just can't, though. This is in 1970 or something like that on top of Capitol. First winter ascent. Pretty amazing. Um, you know, I learned to climb from my dad. He's my biggest hero, my biggest mentor. This is on Forker and, um, in the 70s. I mean, the gear that those guys climbed with and the style they climbed in is it's really an inspiration to me and many others. You know, sometimes the summit isn't the most poetic or the most glorious thing. Sometimes you just have to fall over and be humble, and that's what my dad taught me the most is to enjoy the mountains and enjoy the people you're with. And the experiences I've had with my dad in the mountains is certainly changed my life, and yeah, I'm grateful for those climbs that we had together. Whoa. <laughs> Excuse me. So look who's here. Michael Kennedy and Hayden Kennedy. So we're going to try to frame 
why we brought these guys up here, other than the fact that they're related to a certain dignitary in the Five, five Point Film Festival. But what we'd like to talk about to begin with, if you guys don't mind, is talk about style in the mountains. Both these guys are alpine climbers. Michael Kennedy's heyday was in the 70s, early 80s. 70s, early 80s. Okay. I don't want to, you know, jip you of a few years, but Hayden Kennedy's heyday is as we speak. Okay. This guy's been killing it in the mountains as much as anybody in the last year or two. So, but first I want to ask you, what did you think of the film, this last uh, animated film? I don't, know, I don't know if I really like the film. <laughs> it kind of makes like the young climber, like he doesn't come back and the old guy's just like, oh man, there's tea and coffee and... He's not coming back. I don't know if I like the film, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> didn't that's just, that's just didn't bode opinion. well, I know. That's why well, I wanted to ask That's you. all us old guys are good for anymore, anyway, is hanging out and making tea and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's only a cartoon, though. Yeah, it's only a cartoon. It's not real life. But uh, one thing we wanted to talk about, or I wanted to talk about with these guys, is that there's multiple ways to climb a mountain. And what both of these climbers are known for is the style in which they climb. And climbers know a certain amount about this, but maybe some people that don't, aren't really in the climbing community don't quite understand that. It's how you get up the mountain that matters to a lot of climbers. And not necessarily whether you tag the summit, but it's how you get there. So I'd like to frame the conversation by beginning with a little bit about what style meant when you were climbing these big peaks in the 70s. Well, when we were uh, heading off to Alaska in the Himalaya in the mid to late 70s, a lot of the times the big routes would be climbed with fixed ropes, larger teams. You'd sort of go up and down the mountain several times. You'd gradually push this line of fixed ropes up the mountain. Sometimes, of course, in the Himalaya, you'd use Sherpas or other porters. Performance-enhancing drugs. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, we, were, we had caffeine and alcohol, two of the main things, but... Uh, and our idea changed. was really to, to, uh, to climb in a more adventurous style, which was climbing with a very small team, two people, three people, sometimes four people, and climb in a continuous push from the bottom of the mountain to the top, um, carrying as little as possible. Alpine style is what it's called. Um, and, it's, and it's really continued and, and evolved and advanced, of course, since then. Um, but the idea was to... Uh, to really create a level, there's a certain level of uncertainty and adventure. And so you wanted to get up the thing, but you weren't going to use any means possible to get up. And so, Hayden, as you've come into climbing in the last few years, especially alpine climbing, has anything changed from that in your mind? I think that certainly my dad's generation definitely paved the way for quote-unquote alpine style. But I think now, the, you know, it's... Climbing as fast as you can and, and stuff like that has kind of become the normal. Like, people don't want to take bivy gear. They don't want to take extra food or extra fuel. And I think that's kind of what people at least think is the future. But I think in my mind, what is more the future of this new alpine climbing is, is trying to climb harder technical routes and maybe still take more time, but try to push the technical level. It doesn't have to be super fast because the faster you go, and the, it's just, it gets more dangerous. And maybe that's not the way forward maybe it's the more technical climbing's better and probably more safe than just going super light i mean if any were there any advantages in your mind in this michael in the 70s when you you know it wasn't exactly 
I don't want to frame it as though you had invented this because it was a movement that had started no, quite no. a bit earlier than that. Absolutely. But what were the advantages that you saw in it in terms of the way you guys were approaching these mountains while a lot of people around you were approaching them with these monster expeditions and all these other ways to sort of more assure summiting? Well, one advantage, of course, would be cost. It would cost you a lot less because you don't have all this extra equipment, people, and all this hoo-ha. But also, you know, a lot of times you'd only pass through a dangerous area once, like if there was some avalanche danger or danger of a serac or something falling down on you. You wouldn't pass through that multiple times. But really the main advantage was that sense of adventure and that sense of, of really stepping off into the unknown and, and really having that as sort of a, a, a real foundation for what you're trying to do. That's the kind of experience you're trying to have. Um, as opposed to something that was a little bit more certain or a little bit more, uh, yeah, more certain. So a lot of uncertainty, a good thing. I certainly think in the world that we live in now, there's so much pressure on a lot of athletes and certain, you know, people, whether it's skiing, surfing, climbing, whatever it is, you know, it's to be always at the top of your game and, and, you know, making sure that everyone knows what you're doing through social media and through photos and through blogs. And it's changed a lot since the 70s when my dad was climbing. And I think that that pure kind of adventure and wonder of the mountains that a lot of us have fallen in love with is in a way starting to, you know, I think that many alpinists these days still have that, but a lot of them don't. And I think that it's a powerful thing to go into the mountains and to fail. And I think that's a big part of what certainly, at least me and my dad have been trying to Think about it. It's like, you know, alpine climbing is really about learning to fail. It's not about succeeding. Because when you succeed, you don't really learn that much. It's more about when you fail. That's when you learn a lot. So, Well, yeah, in, in my time in the mountains, um, I think we got up maybe 50% of the time. And yet some of the most powerful experiences that I've had in the mountains were the, the other 50% where we didn't get to the top. Some things where we got very close to the top. And for bad weather, someone gets sick, whatever. Um, and that really, I think it really teaches you a lot about yourself, a lot about how you, you know, why do you do these things? If, if it's just for the, that sort of surface of success, then, you know, that's a little shallow in some ways. And if you can just keep going after it because you want to have that experience of stepping into the unknown the experience of, of, uh, of really facing the world very, you know, very essentially naked um, and open. It's a very powerful thing. Well, can you fill us in a little bit? Oh, you know, Hayden has told me a bunch about this, and I've read a bunch about it as well, and you've termed it the magnificent failure. I think that might be something that came out of, out of climbing literature. But can you frame this alpine style in terms of of one of your adventures on, on Latok? Well, on Latok 1 in Pakistan, and of course, this is an obscure peak. It's fairly well known now because it's part of the history. In what year was this? This is 1978. Nice. Bell okay. bottoms. Long time ago. Yeah. Velour. I mean, this is, this is the old days. Um, and we went over to Pakistan and climbed on this route for 26 days near the top of... Uh, uh, one of my partners, Jeff Lowe, got very sick. Um, at the same time, a big storm came in. We, were, we had to stay in a snow cave for, I think, about four days. We were getting low on food, and, of course, Jeff was sick, and we were quite worried about him. 
So we had to head down. We were probably, I'm going to say 250, 300 meters from the top, 1,000 feet from the top. Um, we'd already climbed seven or 8,000 feet. Um, and we, again, put 26 days into this thing, traveled <laughs> halfway around the world. for 26 days, though? Like, that's the main difference. Well, we I were, think that, like, not to cut you off, but, like, climbers now, it's like, oh, why would you ever want to do that? That's so heinous. <laughs> well, you know, this it is, is, though. This, this is part of what happens is that, you know, we, weren't, we hadn't figured that stuff out yet. I mean, we were basically oh, right, too right. stupid, so we just kept beating ourselves uh, if you're going to be dumb, you've got to be tough. But. That's right. That's a, cl- a classic Hayden Kennedy quote. No, I mean, did you get guys, that from somebody? I mean, Johnny Cash might have said it, but right. <laughs> maybe. But no, I mean, it's, yeah, that route's spectacular. And certainly the magnificent failure is, yeah, I mean, those guys kind of coined that term on that ascent. And, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing to go up on a mountain for that long. I've never been up on a mountain that long. I mean, that's like almost a whole month. Well, I mean, I can only imagine, like, if I go on a mountain for, like, five days, it's enough, I, I'm on the fringe, and I, and I get back to base camp, and I'm, and I'm like, wow, that was pretty intense. But I can't really imagine what it would be like for 26 days. But, again, part of the idea of that kind of climbing, I think, even if you're only spending, you know, two or three days on it, like, you guys are lightweights, and you do that. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, part of the idea is to, is to get yourself out of yourself, is to get... Is, to push beyond what you think your limits are and to, um, to transcend your normal life. I mean, you come back from these things and you're changed. You see the world in an entirely different way. And that's a lot of, I think, what you look for in that kind of experience. It's not for everybody, but... It's like coming off some massive drug trip or something like that. You just see the world a little bit differently. That's true. We're talking about the 70s, man. You guys were fueled by the psychedelic 70s. Not on the climbing. I mean, these guys didn't have, like, Gore-Tex, Polypro, Shield. They were rocking wool headbands. I mean, it's just a different style. It's, I mean, that's I think, is the main thing. Like, I think that now a lot of climbers, and certainly in my generation, it's everything is so gear-oriented. It has to be super lightweight. You know, everything has to be, like, you know, it's so calculated. I've climbed with people that cut the tags off of their clothes before they go climbing. I'm like, really? Like, is that going to make or break this thing? So I think that in a lot of ways, we kind of have to maybe step back a little bit, climb with the old packs, climb with the old gear. And I think because it's not, you know, it's, it's certainly not the, the, um, the plane, it's the pilot. I mean, well, I wouldn't recommend carrying the big old packs uh, maybe not, maybe or not. wearing the leather boots. Trust me, you're a lot better off now. Well, let me shift gears real quick because we wanted to get into some of the themes that were in that movie. You know, Hayden noticed that the the young guy didn't make it back. Um, You guys, you know, you raised up Hayden. He's your son. And that makes your relationship in the mountains, I think, a little bit different than than just me and my bros that climbed together out there. So as you were growing up, Hayden, was there, did you have any idea that your, your dad had this sort of you know, soul-searching past in the mountains? I mean, I think that... Well, I mean, I obviously saw, like, all these photos and stuff since I was super young, but I didn't really understand it until maybe just actually a few years ago when I started alpine climbing. I mean, I always knew, yeah, climbing in the mountains is pretty powerful, but it's kind of like an unattainable thing for people who haven't done it. It's like this mysterious world. And I certainly didn't understand it until just a few years ago. And then now reading the stories and kind of 
you know, maybe starting my own chapter of alpine climbing, I can kind of grasp it a little bit more than I, I could when I was younger. So, yeah, I think when I was younger, I, was, I didn't really know that much about it. And I just so, thought it was normal, like, for dads to do that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> just go off and, yeah. And you've raised up this kid who, in the last, at least in the last two or three years, has really turned his focus away from things like sport climbing, which is very, very friendly, into these big mountain peaks, and then finally into high-altitude mountaineering at a very high level. I'm just wondering if you have sort of mixed emotions. I, I know that Julie does to a certain extent, but where do you where do you sort of see the crossing of a bit of a worry for your kid and also the fatherly wanting him to succeed and to fulfill his dreams? You know, where do those sorts of things cross over for you? Well, that's a great question, but I'm just going to back up for a minute is that, you know, Julie told me years and years ago that if I ever taught this kid how to ice climb, she would kill me. Because, of course, she quite rightly sort of guessed that ice climbing could be the sort of the entry drug to alpinism. Um, so I, I honored that wish. And, and then when Hayden got out of high school and announced that he was going to go to Patagonia, then she was like, well, why didn't you teach this kid how to ice climb? He's going into the big mountains. He's going to have to wear crampons. So, you know, there's been a little conflict there. But... Really, what I've seen with Hayden in the last, you know, certainly when he first started going to the mountains, I worried a lot more because he didn't have a lot of experience. But fortunately, he's, I mean, he's gained some, you know, he's had a good progression. He's gotten a lot of experience. He's climbed with a lot of good people and learned a lot. And so, yeah, I mean, I worry because you're operating in a dangerous environment and stuff happens. But, you know, in terms of the, the, the things that he can control, which is his attitude about it, the humility with which he approaches these big climbs, you know, his experience, his great technique and fitness, you know, all that stuff, he's doing all the right things. So I don't worry so much about that. But there is a level, of, there's an element of chance or there's an element of fate that, that we don't have any control over. So, Hayden, when you, uh, this last year, you've done a couple pretty major scents uh, in Pakistan again on K- K7, is that right? And then also a, a very serious route on the Ogre. You know, as you've grown up, like I've, I've been around you for the last 15 years as well, and watched you again go from some sort of very friendly types of climbing all the way into this alpine climbing. So, can you sort of put into words? you know, what you're getting out of this thing that basically sends you to these really harsh places, puts you in a lot of danger, makes you, I mean, alpine climbing is raining men. Like, you're not like, there's not like you're, you know, making a lot of great social female contacts in those base camps or anything. So, you know, as a guy who's what, 22, 23? Yeah, 22. Okay. What brings you out into those mountains just over and over again? Well, I mean, I guess like climbing just locally in Colorado and sport climbing and going to California and just kind of traveling in the U.S. was great for me. And I had a lot of great experiences and met a lot of people. And then when I first went on my first alpine trip to Patagonia, I just kind of, I don't know, I mean, something about it. It's just different. It's not, it's just everything's bigger. I mean, climbing in the big mountains, Patagonia, Alaska, and the Himalaya is obviously, you know, that's the rooftop of the world. Climbing there, it's just, it's bigger. The, the objectives just get so much greater. And with that, I mean, I don't really think that the risk is, 
maybe for some climbers, you know, they like to kind of tackle and look at that risk like, oh, this is really scary. I should be going for this. For us and for the people that I like to climb with, it's more about trying to find this, you know, this fine line between being really in control to maybe just slightly out of control and trying to make sure that we can find that line and come home safely. And when you can navigate up these big mountains and come back, it's a pretty cool puzzle and it feels good to kind of, you know, do that. It's like going out and ski touring. You can sometimes go up and dig a pit and realize that that slope is too dangerous and you come back home and you have a beer and it's, it's a good puzzle. It's navigating the mountains safely is a pretty powerful thing. I think that's something that alpine climbing gives that a lot of other types of climbing don't. So I have two last questions for you. Uh, Michael, you know, you've, you, this thing was so important to you all your life climbing and particularly climbing in the big mountains and you've raised up this kid who is carrying i gotta say the word it's a little cliche but it's a legacy that you were part of so when you look across this little table you know what are you most proud of when you look at your kid in terms of climbing or in terms of not (laughs) oh you're so sweet (laughs) no it's it's what i said in my introduction is really what i'm most proud of is Hayden's humility and the respect that he shows to the people he climbs with, the countries he goes to, the cultures he visits, and uh, and just you know that that sense that there's it's something bigger than him, and he has a lot of respect for that. And Hayden, final question: What uh, what have you taken away from and learned from your dad? Well, I mean, that's a hard, I mean, that's a great question, really. I, I don't know if I can, it's a hard, it's a hard question to answer because, I mean, he's my dad, like, I mean. And I'm sitting right here, so you better say something nice. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's like your dad, you know, he's in high school, he like busts you for drinking and you're like, oh, dude. And he like harshes down on you, but then like he teaches you and you go and climb and have open bivvies on half dome and, you know, realize that there's. Uh, you know, he shows he shot he showed me a totally different world that I didn't, I didn't really know existed. So I think that you know the biggest gift that my dad's given me is certainly the gift of the mountains and living here. I mean, just by virtue of living in Colorado and growing up here was like just being in the mountains as a youngster is a pretty powerful thing. And I think that's really the greatest gift that any parent can give to anyone. All right, well, give it up one more time for Michael Kennedy and Hayden Kennedy. this rock you're insane i may be insane but i'm not stupid i didn't carry it you did it's in your pack <laughs>